Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join me in a sunny yet empty capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Lorna Charlish, Director of Digital Radish, an insight-led marketing agency. Lorna, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the program uh, today. Um, normally, we go directly into our conversation on leadership. However, uh, before we get there, we obviously have to discuss the uh, COVID-19 outbreak. How has that affected your business? Uh, yes, it's an interesting question. It's, it's um, we've we've we're in a situation where we, as an agency, um, support technology businesses. Um, so we are um, in a good position in that because obviously there's suddenly this need for technology in a way there never has before. You know, the way that we inter interact with each other, the way that decisions are made, it's all become much more, um, you know, um, digital first. So in a way that it's been a really interesting time. But obviously our kind of first concern is for our people um, making sure that they're supported because obviously it's such a you know it's it's an you know I hate to use the word unprecedented because uh, it's it's everywhere now isn't it but it's such an unprecedented time that's kind of been our um our first priority um and we've also found that people you know are just so there's just you know there's a lack of guidance isn't there there's not been something like this since 1918 and that's no real help to us so suddenly you know there's this real need to kind of consult and ask and learn and, and collaborate to kind of work out what the best way forward is. So, you know, that, that's been, I think, incredibly interesting from a, from a business perspective anyway, in terms of the way that the kind of the whole industry has kind of got together and collaborated in ways we probably never would have before. Do you feel that this embracing of digital technology will continue after this is over? Do you think people will slide back into their old ways? Um, I think some of the innovations that are being made at the moment will, you know, continue to keep adding benefit. I think some of the ways that we work, you know, at the beginning of the lockdown, but we'll never need to go back to the office. You can let your office go. We're all going to work from home. It'll be amazing. And I think about three days in, everyone's like, right, I'm going to stir crazy. When uh, when, <laughs> when can we actually have a meeting together and not be uh, shouting at each other across, you know, Zoom connections, saying, are you there? Are you there? That thing. So, um I think it's a, I think it's a mixed bag, uh, definitely. I mean, things will never go back to the way they were, but equally, I think it's also it's also taught us about how much we value that that face to face interaction with social beings, aren't we? And mm. you know, technology is a wonderful thing. And I, I you know, I, when I think about previous um, pandemics in the 20th century, and they had to do that, you know, writing letters and waiting to get a letter back and all this kind of thing, it's amazing that it's that it's there. But it definitely can feel like uh, screen overload after a while, can't it? It can, and uh, I, I feel like I've had more out of hours connection with uh, my coworkers uh, since this has begun than I normally would have uh, under the normal circumstances. Uh, so it's it's a rather interesting uh, time, of course. Uh, we should move on to leadership. Um, I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking a very simple question: What does the word leader mean to you? Yeah, so I really like this idea of. Um servant leadership which kind of sounds like a contradiction in terms but I like this I think it's a theory by a guy called Robert Greenleaf around um, this idea that actually true leadership isn't necessarily about the power that you have it's about the ability that you have to shift power to others and that listening and empathy and and kind of awareness that that that, that means that actually the people that are around you have their own autonomy and their own leadership built into them whatever kind of function that may be rather than the leader themselves embodying that sense of leadership and power. I know that sounds a little bit kind of contradictory, but I quite like that idea. 
um, kind of like an anti-leadership leadership, if that makes sense. No, it does. It does make sense to a point. Um, now, <laughs> to a point. Well, no, everything goes to a point, of course, because things are different for every situation, aren't they? Uh, yeah. Now, do you feel that you require different forms of leadership for different times in your life? Yes, I think so. And um, with different people as well. I think that was one of my sort of first biggest leadership mistakes was thinking, you know, you can have a, a leadership style and you can apply it. Um, but actually it has to has to flex so much, doesn't it, based on the individual that you're with when you have the opportunity. Obviously, if you're leading a country, it's much harder to do that. But, you know, in a business like ours, you know, where, where we can afford to kind of flex that leadership based on the kind of the individual's own needs and their kind of what they respond to, I think, is really important. And over time, yes, definitely, I think, you know, there, there's, there's been times when you sort of need to be a little bit more directional when you can, um, when you can afford not about COVID-19 I think it's been fascinating hasn't it seeing these different leadership styles and different people across the globe you know it's almost like a this incredible insight into leadership techniques and then you kind of can direct and see how well they work mm. almost you know in statistical feedback day by day it's fascinating. Now of course uh, leadership doesn't come out of thin air it comes from somewhere um, let's go back to the beginning of your career when you first started out your working life were there any particular influences on you whether they be a particular individual or a set of circumstances that really shaped you as you are today Yeah I think I look back at my career kind of three key people I think who um, you know who sort of supported me and mentored me and um, gave me promotions probably um, before I I deserve them. Um, I remember my first uh, boss, James Spooner, I had, um, she used to do this thing where she'd invite me over to a desk and say, what do you think about this? What should we do about that? What do you, how do you think that could be improved? So I trotted over there thinking, you know, she's, you know, desperately interested in my opinion and I'm, I'm coming over to help. And this is a, and it, it took me a few years to realize it was a, you know, it was a training technique. She was getting me to think through problems. She was getting me to, you know, kind of training, her, training me up mm. to do her job almost without realizing it. And I always remember that. Um, whereas now my team are really suspicious when I invite them over to give their opinion because they're like, is this a, is this a, is this a management technique? Like, so no, you've carried this know. on? Yes, yes. This kind of um, a sense of, I think, I mean, she she was very much doing it to mentor me, but also this idea that you, the more voices and thoughts and opinions you can have to make a decision, the better it's going to be. And that's something that I've definitely um, carried through into uh, into into digital radish now. You know, I like to make sure that everybody has a view, can where, where appropriate, can express their views, can have an input, and actually, you get you, you thinking that there's more senior people always have the better viewpoint is a mistake. I think. I think that. Well, something that must be of... working well because you you have two B two B marketing awards. Uh, you're in the top 100 of the UK startups. How do you keep your employees motivated uh, to such a high degree of success? Oh, thank you. Um, yes, I think, you know, for a business like ours, we don't have a product as such. Our product is our people. You know, we're only as good as the latest campaign we run, the latest piece of messaging we do or creative we do for our for our clients. So it is all about keeping those really, really, really talented people. Um, and how do we do? I think, you know, we've with right from within. So we've never used age as a barometer of when somebody should or shouldn't be paid more, recognised. We've always been very, very meritocratic. Um, and I think we've, you know, we've um, we've kind of 
had real faith in them, real belief in them. I think if you've got someone in your team, you need to think the absolute best of them, trust them, empower them, give them autonomy, let them run with things, never stand in their way, you know, make it, make it clear that you think their time is valuable, um, all of those things. And I think it's, you know, we've, we've, we've managed to create a team of people who are so innately motivated. Like I would never have to, you know, check that they were working when they were working from home. Like that thought didn't even enter our minds because they're such motivated people. Um, and I think that kind of culture of kind of faith and trust is really, really important. And I think the downside of that is, you know, when somebody isn't like that and they're not that kind of person or they're not, they're not engaged in the vision and they don't want to be there and, don't, you know, think on a Sunday, I'm really looking forward to coming to work tomorrow, then you almost need to have those conversations quickly because I think the worst thing you could do is have somebody as part of a team like that who sort of isn't really enjoying it, isn't really contributing, and you need to kind of, kind of act on that quite quickly so I think it is about that and I think it's really important to me that you know people do wake up on a Monday and they want to start working I think life's too short isn't it to like not have that in your life and that that was very important to me and to uh, my business partner Renee when we set up the business that's kind of a core belief really that that we need to enjoy our work and that you know life's too short to do anything that doesn't inspire you and and that you want to do. Well, life is not the only thing that is too short. Our time together has finished. Uh, it'd be great to have you back on the program at some point in the future so we can have a much more in-depth conversation. Uh, but before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Digital Radish? Um, it's a very good question. Um, it's, it, well, we had a growth plan. We had 22% growth projected. We knew what sectors we were going to uh, focus on. Um, we had a good, uh, yeah, that's all that sight line. It's kind of um, been blown out of the water with COVID-19. So <laughs> yes. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's first um, looking after our people, making sure that they're, you know, supported through all of this. Um, then I think it's, um, working out the best ways that we can really help our clients as well as an agency, what kind of do, um, do to contribute in a kind of more wider sense because uh, we can't make ventilators, but there's still lots of things that we can do as an agency that does um, creative campaigns, communication. So I think that's... Well, Lorna, yeah. I'd like to wish okay. you and your team the best of health and the best of luck in the coming months and years. And I do hope, uh, like I said, to have you back on the program soon. Lorna, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. That was Lorna Tarlish, Director of Digital Radish. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex... Uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. 
And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that caliber can have a huge influence on your, your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days, um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like, uh, Ron, uh, there, it's also important to have, uh, uh, confidence with, your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, w- would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South 
Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Jeff Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, up naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a, a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. he, in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict. But at a time, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn song, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team, but uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had an impact of. Thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position, and somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? 
Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's—I won't mention both. It's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, 
you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh if you that if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... It would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with... Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently, since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. 
And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I, going back from an earlier earlier question for me, the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times, for the success of the team. We had some great I players, it, we had some great players, of course, but without the attitude uh, alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is team. The, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking—if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single minded. Uh, Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks 
um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus, you're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.